0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. So let's get our Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now we're going to be skipping around in Samuel, uh, getting probably to verse twenty-twenty two 22 this morning, but we'll start in 1 Samuel 18, and uh, we'll go from there. <clears throat> In 2010, Burger King, an ad campaign to try to promote uh, the Whopper, and they, they ran a campaign where if you would, you would sign up uh, for this campaign on Facebook, and then if you unfriended 10 people on your Facebook friends list, they would send you a coupon for a free Whopper. Y'all would give up 10 people for a free Whopper. I'd have, like, one of you, one of them for a free Whopper, pretty much. Uh, But the the ad campaign, and what would happen is you would sign up, and you would unfriend people, and you would kind of send them a notice, and then they would contact the people you unfriended and tell them that they got unfriended for a hamburger. So, I mean, just they were building bridges all over the place and helping people connect. Uh, But when, you know, it it, it worked. The stunt really worked. Within a week, 233,000 people had been unfriended on Facebook for Whopper, and Burger King had to send out 23,000 coupons for free Whoppers. Now, they immediately stopped this campaign because they realized people really don't care about their Facebook friends, uh, and they would gladly get rid of them for a Whopper. Uh, Now, Facebook friends are obviously not real friends. Most of us have way, too many, way more Facebook friends than we have in real life. We have people on our Facebook friends list that we, we really haven't seen. And, and I've got people I went to high school with, I'm friends with, and I haven't spoken to since high school. Uh, people that, and you know, of course, a lot of us have Facebook friends that were friends with them on Facebook because they're friends with another one of our friends, and Facebook suggested maybe you would know this person, and you have no idea who this person is. You've never met him in your life. You've never done anything. You, know, you wouldn't know him if, you, if they sat across from you, but they know your cousin Joe, so you're friends with them. You know, Facebook friends are not real friends, and this, this ad campaign it kind of revealed that issue in our culture. See, friendship is not a highly valued commodity today. There was a recent uh, survey that asked a question, and the question was, in the last six months, how many people outside of your family have you discussed an important personal matter? Over half the people who were surveyed could not answer that question. Now, this is especially an important issue and a serious issue when it comes to men. You know, we as men, uh, we stop generally making friends after we get married. You know, most men don't have relationships where you can open up with another man who's not part of your family and reveal deep burdens and deep problems that you're struggling with and really reveal some things that you're dealing with. Um, especially when we get older. Women are very different. That's why April can have a women's event where you're picking up trash on 81, and 100 women will show up. I'll have a barbecue where I'm giving away $100 to everybody that shows up, and it's like pulling teeth to get men to show up. Uh, men, just, we, we just don't value friendship like women do. Uh, men, we only tend to be connected on superficial levels. We talk about work, we talk about sports, we talk about hunting, we talk about golf. We don't talk about our our dreams. We don't talk about our our burdens. We don't talk about the problems that we face in life. The same survey showed that one in ten men, only one in ten men, had someone that they could discuss issues of money or marriage with. And one in twenty had someone that they could openly discuss their feelings with. 1 Samuel 18 is all about friendship, and it's especially vital for men to hear. Now, there's something for the ladies, too, so ladies, don't you tune me out or get up and walk out. There's something here for y'all, too, because it's the Word of God and it's for everybody. Uh, but one of the, uh, this is a story about two men. It's one of the greatest stories of friendship in the Bible, and it shows us how to truly develop good biblical friendships. So look at uh, chapter 18. Start reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now, that's a, that's a vital uh, part of the, the, the story right there where uh, Jonathan is taking off his robes, he's taking off his armor, he's taking off his sword, and he's giving it to David because it's not like David's showing up in you know ratty clothes and Jonathan's just like, oh man, I got plenty of clothes. I've, you know, take my coat, I've got plenty at home, don't worry about it. Jonathan is giving David his princely robes. The things that signify to the rest of the world that Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. That Jonathan is the one who's going to take over when Saul dies. See, Jonathan recognizes David is God's man. Not him. He knows I'm not, I'm not the one that God has called to be king. I'm not the one that God has anointed David is. So he willingly gives up what is rightfully his to David. He takes off his garments, he takes off his his, his armor, and he gives it to David. He didn't present David. He didn't seek to destroy like Saul did. He respected David cared for him. I'm going to switch to this one because the other one is not working. Connor, give me number, a little bit more, number one. There you go. Keep listening. There you go. All right. Uh, then look at verse number five. Keep reading verse number five. And David went out, whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely, And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants." And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with uh, tarbits and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, at this point in history, David has slain one. For not including bears and lions and you know whatever else he's killed in the, sh- in, the, in the shepherd field he's killed one. now look, the one he killed was a big dude. I mean it's Goliath he's nine foot six. everybody's scared of him. Saul's scared of him, he's a, the chief of this, so yeah, his one is a big deal, but he's killed one, not tens of thousands. Now this song was not meant to you know, bring glory to David or to Saul. It wasn't meant to insult Saul. It's a Hebrew poem. In Hebrew poetry, it is common to have two statements that basically say the same thing. Now, the reason they do that is the second statement is meant to intensify or really throw focus on the first one. For example, you know, the book of Proverbs says, Keep thy tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. The, psalmist, uh, the, the writer there is not trying to contrast the difference between the tongue and the lips. He is just intensifying and giving great warning to the fact that, yes, the tongue is very evil. So the women are not saying that David is better than Saul. They are giving thanks to God for both of them. They mention Saul first because Saul is the king. And it would be wrong or rude to say David has killed his thousands and Saul his ten thousands because Saul's the first one, so Saul should be mentioned first. Uh, They didn't want to, but Saul didn't like his name having a lower number than David. Now look at verse number, uh, chapter number eighteen, verse number eight. And Saul was very wroth, uh, and the saying displeased him, and he said. They have described unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more than the kingdom? And Saul, eyed David, from that day forward. Now remember, uh, we saw a couple weeks ago where David, uh, when David is anointed king and the Spirit of God comes upon him, that the Spirit of God leaves Saul. This is a result of God's Spirit leaving him. Because of his disobedience, because of, of his rejection of God and God's rejection of him, he is now becoming paranoid. Everyone's out to get him. Everyone's going to hurt him. Look, at, to, uh, skip over to chapter 19. Start reading in verse number 8. 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 8. And there was a war again, and David went out with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, and as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, then David played with his hand, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin to the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Now, I, I, I always love how the Bible puts things... Like, he tried to smite David to the wall with a javelin. It's like he's just trying to attack him up there. He didn't want to hurt him. He just kind of wanted to, you know, put a javelin through his coat and kind of hang David up there like a bully. No, he wanted to kill David. He was, and remember, David was brought in from the the sheep to play... For Saul, whenever this evil spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Saul because God's spirit has left him and now he's dealing with, with anxiety, he's dealing with depression, he's dealing with all these kind of uh, mental and spiritual problems. And whenever he was getting riled up, David would come in and play for him. And so there's a war. David has a great victory. He comes back. Saul's upset, so he's playing for Saul and Saul tries to kill him and David runs away. Now, eventually, Saul calms down and David comes back. But in the next couple chapters, Saul tries to kill David four more times. Four times in, the next, in, in, four cha- in three chapters, David is trying to help Saul. He's playing music for Saul. He's trying to call Saul down, and Saul loses his mind and tries to kill David. And whenever Saul is feeling kind of murdery towards David... David always escapes, he always goes away, and Jonathan always talks to his dad to try to calm him down. He is pleading David's case. He, he goes to Saul and says, you know, David, he's never done anything to you. He is your greatest ally in, in the entire kingdom. No one loves you more than David does. And so that calms Saul down for a while, but then as David comes back, and as life goes on, Saul flips out again and tries to kill David a fifth time. After the fifth time, David runs away, and Saul seems to be at peace, but no one really knows for sure. How many of you think you have a bad boss at work? Your boss doesn't like you. They're a rough boss. Okay, a few of you. Your boss ever tried to kill you five times. You don't got a bad boss. David had a bad boss. So none of us, when we got to go to work tomorrow, think, man, I I sure hope Mr. Johnson doesn't try to kill me and pin me to the wall with a javelin this morning. I've had to get away from that too many times. No, that's not what we're dealing with. That's what David is dealing with. You know, David and Jonathan, they come up with a plan to really kind of see what is in Saul's heart. Which I think trying to kill you five times would reveal what's in your heart. But they want to make sure. So they come up with this plan. And so David, they have these kind of monthly meetings with the leadership of the the kingdom. And David's always there. But David's going to skip the next kind of management meeting. Uh, And when Saul asks where David is, Jonathan's going to tell him, you know, he had a family issue, had a problem back at home, had to go home and deal with it. And their thinking is, if Saul is okay with it, if Saul's like, oh, well, you know, he's got to take care of family. He's got to. He's got to take care of them. Family's important. Don't worry about it. Then, if he's okay with it, then he's fine with David. But if he flips out, then he, he's he's gonna kill David one day. And so, sure enough, he gets mad, and he tells Saul, tells Jonathan his entire elaborate plan to kill David once and for all. So Jonathan tries to calm him down, uh, and eventually Saul gets so mad at Jonathan for defending David that he tries to kill his own son. So Jonathan goes out and they have this this elaborate uh, kind of system to give David the answer. David's going to hide out in the woods. It's a 30-mile journey, and so Saul walks 30 miles, or Jonathan walks 30 miles to where David's hiding in the woods, and he's going to shoot some arrows, and if he tells his the guy who gets his arrows, hey, it's a little further behind, you know, past you, then David knows Saul's going to kill me, and I can't come back. And if, hey, if the if Jonathan shoots the arrow and tells his, his arrow retriever, hey, it's this way, then it's fine. It's an elaborate kind of system, which in this time period, they could have just met somewhere, and he said, say, yeah, you got to run dude but they come up with this plan they David gets the message that Saul is going to kill him so he has to run but he has to see Jonathan first he wants to say goodbye to Jonathan so flip over in chapter 20 we're gonna start reading in verse number 41 1st Samuel 20 start in verse number 41 And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, there's a lot that we can unpack here in this passage about a lot of different, in this story about a lot of different issues we deal with. But I really want to look at three things that this story tells us about friendship. First thing I want to look at is, number one, the character of friendship the character of friendship, more than anyone else in the Bible besides Jesus. Jonathan demonstrates three characteristics of a true friend. The first one, the first characteristic is selfless love. Jonathan, the Bible says, loved David as his own soul. He Loved David like he loved himself, even though he knew David was going to be the next king. David was going to get everything that Jonathan was supposed to inherit, David's going to get the kingdom. David's going to get the throne. David's going to get the palace. David's going to get all the wealth. David's going to get all the recognition. David's going to have everybody's going to be singing David's praises. And Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne, but Jonathan doesn't care. He doesn't get jealous. He doesn't try to partner with Saul to kill David. He and look here's the thing, Jonathan didn't do anything wrong. To lose the throne he lost the throne because of his dad sins. he could have gotten anger and said this isn't fair i didn't do anything wrong my daddy's the one that messed up so we'll just we'll kill him and i'll take control and i'll i'll do whatever it would have been easy for him to to get mad and upset and try to destroy david but that wasn't jonathan he respected god's will and he genuinely loved david you gotta ask yourself, when you see on Facebook, or Instagram, or wherever, when you see a friend, get blessed. When you see someone that you know or you grew up with or you're you're close to or a coworker, when they get a promotion you should have gotten. When you see your, your friends on Facebook taking a, a great vacation and you can't even afford to go to, to Kroger to get some snacks, when you see all these things, do you get jealous of them? Do you resent them because they are blessed by God? See, true friendship is selfless. It rejoices when your friends are blessed and it mourns with them when they are mourned. So Jonathan's, the characteristic of friendship is selfless love. The second one is intentionality. See, David and Jonathan are not just friends because they, you know, work in the same place or go to the same school. You know, they're not just friends because of some situation that they're in. They're not golf buddies. They made a covenant to be friends with each other. In chapter 18, verse 3, it says, "Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. See, they were, they were doing more than just hanging out, playing golf, playing video games, watching TV, they made a decision and they made a commitment to be involved in each other's lives, to care for each other, to watch out for each other. Men, we have perfected friendships where all we do is kind of superficial things. We golf, we hunt, we watch sports together, and that's it. See, women are, deve- are better at this. Women can get together, spend six, seven hours talking about everything, you know, get in. I mean, April will, you know, she'll go out to coffee with the, with the friend, and, you know, she'll come back, and mascara's running, and she's, I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Oh, nothing, we were just talking about life, like life's that bad, oh no, she was telling me this, and we wept together, and we praised together, and we, we sung, and, you know, we, oh, we had a great time, and, you know, they, just women can, can do that, men, we get together, and we'll spend hours talking about nothing, accomplish nothing, but we hung out together, Jonathan and David were intentionally getting involved in each other's lives. Biblical friendship takes intentionality. It takes a commitment, a choice to be involved in someone's life, to allow them to be involved in your life. But here's the third, third characteristic, a commitment to speaking truth. David, or Jonathan, told David the hard things even when it was hard even when it was awkward. So you read the story completely. David loved Saul. He didn't have any ill will towards Saul. Later on in the, in the book, he had an opportunity to kill Saul when Saul's trying to kill him and he doesn't take it. He loves Saul. He loves Jonathan. He, he marries one of Saul's daughters. He, he, he thinks of... Saul is a father figure, uh, someone he looks up to and he cherishes, and Jonathan has to come to him and say, hey, uh, dad hates you, and dad wants to murder you, so the best deal for you is just to get out of here. That'd be hard to say, but Jonathan spoke truth to him even when it was hard. He wasn't trying to keep peace or or make David feel good. Like, well, he doesn't really hate you. He just he doesn't understand you, David. No, he's like, no, he hates you. He's gonna kill you. You need to get out of here. He was trying to save his life. A true friend cares more about your safety than they do your comfort. They committed to telling you, they are committed to telling you the truth, even when it makes you uncomfortable, even when it hurts. See, Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, let's be honest. We'd all rather receive kisses than wounds, right? If you got a choice, hey, someone's going to kiss you on the cheek or someone's going to punch you in the face. Now, depending on who the person kissing you is, you know, if it's Danny, I may take the punch. Uh, But, you know, it's like, hey, this person's going to, you know, April's going to kiss you on the cheek or someone else is going to smack you in the face. I'd rather have the kisses. We all want kisses more than wounds because they feel good. But it's faithful wounds of a friend that save your life. It's faithful wounds of a friend that protect you from danger. See, true biblical friendship is characterized by selfless love, intentionality, and speaking truth. That leaves us the second thing we look at this morning the importance of friendship. There are several things that this friendship provided for David that true biblical friendship provides for all of us. Number one, it shielded him. It shielded him from danger. Jonathan alerted David to danger that David wasn't aware of, that David couldn't see. Ecclesiastes 4, Bible says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, the central point of that passage is pretty clear. We are better together than we are alone. Man was not created to be alone. Remember in the Genesis, God creates the garden, he creates heaven and earth, he creates the sea, the the animals, he creates man, he looks at everything, and everything he says, man, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's very good. He looks at Adam by himself and says, that's not good. So he makes a companion, a helpmate. When you look at the original Hebrew help me, doesn't mean, you know, like we kind of think of, oh, well, he's got someone to wash his clothes and do his dishes and take care. No, help me means partner, someone to do life with. Basically, if when you really get down to it, Eve was Adam's best friend. Now, best friend, he had romances, romantic relationships with, him, which is fine, which is what your wife should be. April's my best friend. I can tell her anything, she can tell me anything, and and she knows everything about me, I know everything about her, generally speaking, but I know if there's one person in this life I I can go to and I can reveal my hurts and my pains and my discouragement, it's April. Now, do I need other people that I can, yes I do, I need to work on that, God's preaching to me while I'm preaching to you, that I need to have better friends, I need to be a better friend, but friends shield us from danger. We all have blind spots. In our life, things that can come up and can hurt us, can destroy us, can ruin us—that we don't see weaknesses and dangers in our lives that we don't see the danger to—and our friends are there to help us see those blind spots, to see those dangers that were coming up in our own heart. Proverbs 18.1 says, "Though a desire through desire, a man having separated himself." seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. When you isolate yourself from other people, when you isolate your heart so it doesn't get hurt, your, your heart's going to grow selfish, and it's going to intensify the deformities of your sin. Think of it like a yard of a blind person. You know, a blind guy's got a yard, and he wants to mow the yard himself. He's going to miss some spots. He's not going to know where to pull the weeds you're going to go out and look and see, oh, oh well, man, y'all looks great, but there's all kinds of cur, you know, stuff he missed. And we see the, the things he missed, but he doesn't see them. We all need people to help us see those problems in our life. When we, need pe- we need people close to us that can speak into our life and tell us when we are making bad decisions. The importance of friendship is it shielded him. Second thing it did was it strengthened him. Dave, Jonathan spoke courage into David's life. David is ready to give up when Jonathan tells him, hey, daddy's going to kill you no matter what. Jonathan, David's ready to give up and say, well, I'll just go back and let him kill me and be done with this. I'm I'm tired of it. He's ready to give up, but Jonathan reminded David that God had a plan for his life. Jonathan reminded him that, yeah, it, it seems hard now. It seems bad now, but God's got something. Yeah, Saul's on the throne now, and Saul wants to kill you now, But God's promise put you on the throne. See, true friends multiply your strength. See, God designed us to work that away. When you, uh, how many of y'all, you know, when the the winter's coming, and we always see geese flying south of the winter, always flying in a V. You know why they do that? Geese can increase their range by 71% by flying in a V than they can on their own. Because what happens is as they're flying, the bird in front creates an updraft that the rest of the geese kind of get to ride and their strength, and they can go further. Now, of course, the one in front gets tired, but when the one in front gets tired, he just drops back to the back, and one takes the front, and they keep going. They can go 71% further just by flying together. You know, one horse. You can hook a horse up to a, a plow, and one horse can pull 5,000 pounds. But two horses working together can pull 15,000 pounds. See, working together doesn't just add to their strength, it multiplies it. Our strength multiplies when we pull together with a friend. When you know someone is grieving with you, when you know someone is hurting with you, when you know someone is worrying with you, It lightens the load that you're carrying. Close friendships sustain us. They strengthen us. That's why, honestly, probably the most important aspect of a Christian, of a good marriage, is friendship. If you're not friends with your spouse, it's going to be a rough go. You're going to have a rough time of it. But if you're friends, you can get through everything together. You can get through anything together if you're true friends. So it strengthened him. third thing it did was it shaped him. David... At the end of it, towards the end of his life, or later on in his life, he's going to show incredible generosity and selflessness to others. After David takes the kingdom, of course, tragedy has struck, uh, King Saul's family, the whole family is wiped out. David had nothing to do with it. God worked it out where David's family, uh, Saul's family is wiped out and David is made king. David goes to his advisors and asks, is there anyone in Saul's house? Is there anyone in Jonathan's household? Left alive, that can be good too. Now, during this time, typically, if the new king asked about that, it's because he didn't want to make sure. He wanted to make sure there were no heirs going to come up and try to take him off the throne. So there was one guy left, Mephibosheth, who was a child when Saul and Jonathan are killed. And so as he's, as he's being left out of the palace, they drop him. He's, he's a crippled kid. But they keep him hiding because they're afraid David's going to kill him. Well, David tracks him down, and he doesn't kill him. Brings him back to the palace. Dresses him in, the, the, in the, the princely robes. Sits him at the king's table. Treats him like a son. He does to him what Jonathan had done to him. He treated him like a son. Jonathan's generosity had shaped who David became. Jonathan's character shaped David's character. Psalms 1320. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, Craig he he says this about that verse. He says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You become the average of your five closest friends. So choose your friends carefully. You know, we all have areas that we want to improve in. We want to be a better parent, a better employee, a better better spouse, a better Christian. What if the decision to become what you wanted to be was really a decision of who you chose to be your friend? Find someone you admire. It's like, man, they, they really walk with God. I'm gonna, I want to be like them and become their friend and become their confidant and get a part of their life. You could be one friend away from changing the course of your life. Check out this diagram up on the screen here we all, oh, y'all can't see them because it's black and I can see it. It's better back there. There's three circles there. They say three different things. The red circle that you cannot read is your core friends. Those are the people, these are the Jonathans in your life. These are the, the people that you can confide in. These are the people that help you, that strengthen you, that shape you. Everyone in that circle should be a Christian every single one of them. The next circle you have is your community. There's about 12, 15 people that you, you do life with. Uh, most of these people are, are Christians. They're your, the, the, the kind of the closest friends you have. And then you have the third circle. That's your circle of concern. These are the people that you, you genuinely love them. You are genuinely friends with them. But maybe they're just co-workers Maybe they're neighbors, whoever they are, but there are people that you're involved in their life, but you're not really that close to them. And, And they don't all have to be Christians. As a matter of fact, some of them shouldn't be, so you can witness to them and help bring them to salvation. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Some of you have friends in that core circle that need to move out. You need to move them to your community, or you need to move them to your area of concern. Do not tell them you do this. Don't go home and call your best friend and say, preacher said, I'm too close, i got to kick you out, I'm never going to talk to you again. Don't do that. Just in your own life say, I'm going to move them from my core friends to my community friends or my area of concern or people that I'm not that close to. Or you've got someone kind of on the periphery that you really should bring into your core friendship. Someone that would really help you and strengthen you and encourage you. You need to bring them in closer To you, biblical friendships they shield us, they strengthen us, and they shape us. It is how God designed us. That brings us the third thing. We see, we see the power of friendship. Now, not just this friendship, but truly all biblical friendship is inspired by Christ. See, Jonathan served David at great personal cost to himself. When David is in need, Jonathan walks 30 miles to warn him, to help him, to encourage him. Now, Jesus went further than that. Jesus crossed the gap between heaven and earth. He crossed the gap between deity and humanity. See, Jonathan gave up a claim to the palace, but Jesus purchased our claim to the palace through his own blood. He gave up for us. See, Jonathan wasn't God's heir to the throne. David was. Jesus is God's heir. And he gave it up for us. Like Jonathan, Jesus laid aside his royal robes and he gave them to us. And when we turned our back on him, When we reject him, when we refuse to walk away from from our sin to be with him, when we refuse him and reject him, he is always there for us. He never walks away from us. His friendship helps us be the kind of friend we see in Jonathan. Crawford Lourdes, theologian, said, How can you you be this kind of friend, the kind of friend we see here in 1 Samuel? You must be overwhelmed with the friendship of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his own life, his own sword, his own robe, so that you could be saved. And in doing so, he transformed you. What about when your, your friends disappoint you? Your friends you, anybody ever been hurt by a friend? Yeah, those are deep pains. When someone you trusted, you loved, you cared for, And they hurt you. And we all feel it sometimes. You know, in Psalms, David reveals multiple times when friends or family members disappointed him. In Psalm 55, he laments the deep betrayal he had experienced. He says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance, a friend had betrayed him, and few things hurt worse than that. Or maybe it wasn't even a, a betrayal. Maybe we were, maybe they were unaware of, or they were not paying attention to our needs. They didn't, they didn't call when we thought they should have. They didn't reach out when we, when we needed them. They were so preoccupied with themselves that they, they didn't notice that we were hurting. Every earthly friendship you have will disappoint you at some point in your life. Even the good ones, even the Jonathans are going to let you down, are going to hurt you. When that happens, that's where we lean on Jesus, not only as our example, but as a true friend. See, Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, A man that hath a friend must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know, I've always kind of... At that, because I have I have three brothers. I'm not really that close to any one of them. Uh, you know, I don't want them. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I don't want them to die. But you know, I talk to them a couple times a year. Sometimes, you know, my my oldest brother Jamie, he's living in North Carolina. I talk to him on Facebook more than I talk to him on the phone. My other two brothers, they live in Lynchburg with my mom, and I see them when I go see her. But it's not like we're chatting. I talk to my sister a lot. But, you know, a lot of people have close relationships with your brothers. and That's great. That's great. But Bible says that we have a friend that is closer than a brother. See, here's the thing. As I thought on this and looked at this, brothers are obligated to love you. They have to. They're your brother. I know that because I love my brothers. Why do I love my brothers? Because they're my brothers. If they weren't my brothers, I would not be their friend. We just we don't we don't have anything in common. We don't get along that much. And so honestly, if if we were not related, I wouldn't have anything to do with them because I wouldn't know them. But I love them because they're my brothers. I love them when they're when they're jerks. And one of them is a jerk all the time. I love and if, if he was a jerk and he wasn't my brother, I would never have anything to do with him. I'd be like, well that guy's a jerk, forget him. But I love him because he is I am obligated to love him. It's part of the family code. See, Jesus is not obligated to love us, but he does. He was not obligated to leave heaven and come to earth to live a perfect life because we couldn't live it. But he did anyway because he loved us. He wasn't obligated to be arrested for crimes he didn't commit. But he loved us and he did it anyway. He wasn't obligated to allow the Roman soldiers to scourge him and to rip up his back and to mock him and to spit on him and to pull out his beard and to put on a crown of thorns because of our sins, but he did it anyway because he loved us. He wasn't obligated to be nailed to a cross and hung between heaven and earth and have the sins of the world placed on him and absorb the wrath of God for my sins and your sins. He wasn't obligated to have God the Father turn his back on him for a while because he saw my sin on him. He wasn't obligated to do that, but he did it because he loved us anyway. He died. He rose again because he loves us. He is closer than a brother. He took the wrath for our sins. He died the death we should have. He went to hell for us and he rose again for us. He will always shield us. He will always strengthen us. He will always sustain us. And he will always shape us even when others fail. Having Jesus as a friend helps us be better friends to other people. Helps us be complete forgiving friends. You know, some of us, we can't forgive someone who's hurt us, and we think it's because of what they did to us, but it's really because we're so needy. We're always nursing our wounds, concerned about how others have let us down, and that's why we can't be a good friend. Here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people. The wounds from your past relationships make you a bad friend to others. I can say that because wounds from my past relationships make me a bad friend to people. When you find completeness, when you find healing in Jesus, when you experience him as a true friend, we're not needy anymore. And we're able to forgive those who hurt us because you realize you've hurt them too. Healthy friendships always start with Jesus. Today is a day for us to make an intentional choice to pursue biblical friendships. As I close, we're going to come back to the bigger point of this passage, kind of the the longer arc of the story of the life of David. See, David is the rightful king. Saul opposes him. Saul tries to kill him. Jonathan surrenders to David's kingship at great personal cost to himself. Jesus is God's chosen king. But for him to truly be king for in our life, we have to give up the throne, for our claim to the throne. Only one of us can be king. Either I'm king or Jesus is king. I have to decide who I'm going to let it be. Don't leave here trying to make better friends, but be still disconnected from Jesus. That's the main point of the whole story. Jesus is God's rightful king, and we need to submit to him if we're going to be friends with other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would we thank you so much today. you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege we have to come together. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.